Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Attention to Detail. This is Jacob joining you as always. Today, I thought we'd do something a little bit different, uh, out of the ordinary for this podcast. Mm -hmm. But we've been doing a series on opera, kind of what we've been calling opera spark notes, where I've been breaking down operas, summarizing them, highlighting the important musical moments. And I was thinking about some of my other favorite operas and what I wanted to highlight on this series. And one of the ones that came to mind is a more well-known opera than, than the ones that we've talked about so far, I think, um, The Magic Flute by Mozart. It's, I think, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, opera ever composed. It's one of my personal favorite pieces of, of music, one of Mozart's great, great works. And I wanted to talk about this opera, but I think it's so familiar. There's so many resources out there about this opera, and it's so kind of easy to listen to in a way. It's not that long, actually, that I felt like a Spark Notes version of, of this opera would, would be less than, than ideal and, and not really needed necessarily for, for our listeners. So instead, what I wanted to do is, is something that we normally don't do, but I want to take a really close look at one scene of, of music, of, of plot um, in this opera and kind of break it down in a more detailed fashion because I think especially for a composer like Mozart, whose music, I think a lot of people listen to Mozart and they think that his music all kind of sounds the same. Um, it's, it's in the classical style and, you know, it sounds like Haydn, it sounds like his other pieces, but to me, it's so detailed, so intricate that if we actually kind of break down this music, uh, and really look at the finer details, there will be a lot to be gained from that. And that will kind of inform the whole listening process for the magic flute. So hopefully our listeners will enjoy this scene breakdown that we're going to do, um, uh, of the magic flute. Just a tiny bit about the Magic Flute. It was written in Mozart's last year, 1791. It's an incredible work. It's a Zingspiel, which means that it was it was one of the operas that Mozart wrote in German, and there's speaking in between musical numbers. So it's a little bit more like a musical than a you know op through composed opera. There's there's moments of of kinetic plot activity that are spoken and then there are kind of arias that are like the songs in a musical which are relatively static narratively. Um, but I wanted to pick out a scene that's not completely static narratively but it's it's I think my favorite scene in the opera musically. Uh, I think it's one of Mozart's most masterful compositional moments of which in this opera there are many. One of the amazing things about this opera is that stylistically even it's so varied it kind of leaves us wondering what Mozart would have done if he had lived even three more years um, just because the the advancements that he made in this final opera of his are so staggering in a way that it's it's really one of the great unanswered questions in the history of music is what Mozart would have done had he continued even just a few years further but this scene that we're going to talk about today involves five characters, um, two of the main characters of the first half, especially of the opera, Papageno and 
Tamino. Tamino is the, the main male character. He's the prince who's going to rescue Pamina, who's been stolen from the Queen of the Night um, by Zarastro. At this point in the plot, we think that Zarastro is this evil uh, kind of character who's, who's stolen the Queen of the Night's daughter, but it turns out that gets flipped in the second half of the opera, but we don't actually know that yet. Um, so Tamino is this heroic character who's off to save Pamina, and Papageno is this kind of comic character who comes in and out of the, the play. He's being dragged along by Tamino and, and making a bunch of mistakes along the way. He's kind of scared to go confront Zarastro. He's not courageous like Tamino. And so they've come across these three ladies who are servants of the Queen of the Night. And the Queen of the Night has magically locked Papageno's mouth shut with a padlock. And this is, I think, the first moment of genius of this aria, if we want to call it an aria, it's really a quintet. But it starts in classic Mozartian uh, humorous fashion with one of the characters singing with their mouth padlocked shut. And so Mozart has actually written out this character trying to sing while his mouth is padlocked shut. And so all he's able to, to do is really hum, but he's still written out. It's like he's kind of poking fun at the operatic genre that he can write a quintet with one of the characters' uh, mouths padlocked. You know, he's, he's that great of a composer in a way. So what we're going to do on the scene breakdown, we'll listen to a chunk of music and then we'll talk about it in detail. And we'll actually go through this whole scene, listening to every note. It's about a five minute scene. So here's the first section of music where Papageno is singing with his mouth padlocked shut. <laughs> characteristics of Mozart's composition and the way in which he was a real compositional genius is his ability. You know, I think some people listen to that clip and they say, that's a lot of music that sounds very similar. But if you listen on a kind of micro level, Mozart's ability to shift musical characters, different parameters of music incredibly quickly, at a very, very fast rate, in, almost in the same musical phrase, is pretty astounding. So let's just listen to the very first two ideas, as we call them on this podcast, of, of this whole scene. And I just want you to listen to see if you can hear any differences. There's this brief introduction from the orchestra, this kind of falling figure, but then Papageno sings one line and Tamino sings one line. And here's what that sounds like. <laughs> So 
So there are several contrasts in that phrase. If you want to go back and listen a couple of times, I think it's worth it. But I'll point out a few of them. So first of all, the most obvious one is that one character is singing with their mouth padlocked. So one character is humming effectively while the other character is actually singing words. But in terms of the articulation of that phrase, which means the, the length or, or shortness, Papageno, the character with his mouth padlocked, singing very short, what we call staccato in music. <laughs> this very short articulation. And when Tamino comes in, he sings this very long, what we call legato, smooth phrase. So there's a big difference in, you know, kind of snappiness of articulation. One sounds very jovial, the other sounds a little more expressive. If you listen really closely also, you'll notice different instruments are accompanying these two short figures. So the lowest instruments of the orchestra are playing while Papageno is singing. And then the violins come in and accompany Tamino. So just in this first little phrase, there's, there's many contrasts, and those happen at, at, at the interval of, of seconds, really. And I think it's, it's, that's throughout this scene, throughout Mozart, that's one of the real geniuses, is this ability to quit, quickly shift between characters on an idea-by-idea idea basis. It's why his music is so good for listening, well, applying the techniques of this podcast, especially our hearing ideas technique because the individual musical ideas are so distinct from each other. So I think this is an important thing to think throughout this scene. I want to play the next slightly longer section. So in terms of musical key, which we'll talk about a little bit on this, this breakdown, because we'll go into a little more detail, this next section shifts key. And so in terms of the form of this scene, we're starting to see a kind of a, now we're getting to the B section, which is in a new key, and we'll try to see what comes, comes after this. Um, but in this middle section, the three women, the servants of the Queen of the Night, enter the scene. The, one of the ladies pardons Papageno and takes the lock off of his mouth. So we'll hear that scene now where the women enter, we have our full quintet on stage now, and the lock get, gets removed from Papageno's mouth, so he's actually able to sing again now. So there are two sections, musical sections of this clip that we, we just listened to. The music kind of comes to a stop in the middle there, and then we get the second section. And I want to zone in on that one. The first portion of this is really just Papageno enjoying that he's able to, to speak again. But then in the second section, which I'll, I'll play again in a, in a moment, 
the the women are singing, and this is classic from the the magic flute, which famously was a kind of uh, it, it was very informed by Mozart's recent uh, joining of the the Freemasons and his participation in or engagement with Masonic values and ideals, and so there's a lot of this opera that's kind of preachy in a way or life lessons, and the women sing here. For if all liars received a lock like this on their mouths, instead of hatred, calumny, and black gall, love and brotherhood would flourish. And I think in addition to Mozart's great changes of character like we hear in this section, it's important, you know, Mozart was also a, like many opera composers, what we call a text painter, which means that his, his music mirrors to a certain extent that the lyrics that the characters are singing but the way in which Mozart integrates this with very natural classical phrasing the classical era is really kind of known for these very perfect crystalline phrase forms things like binary form which are a a b a or something you know they they had basically reduced composing to or expanded composing to something of a science. This was right around the time of the Enlightenment, where people were discovering the you know the amazing breadth of of knowledge that humans could really achieve, and the the seemingly limitless bounds at that point of of human reason. And so, music was mirroring this path where it was really written in these kind of crystalline, perfect forms. But despite that, Mozart geniusly integrates these kind of text painting moments. Um, and I want to listen to one. So let's listen to the second half of this, this uh, B section that we've just heard and see if you can notice the moments, see just in the, in the music, if you can notice the moments on the lines when they sing, instead of hatred, calumny, and black gall, versus love and brotherhood would flourish you'll hear very quick change of character, almost like the middle of this sentence, middle of a phrase from one distinct character to another. So here's the second half of that music that we just heard one more time. So hopefully it was it was possible to notice. There's a few sections where the the music gets very loud. Um, that's those are the moments, and it almost it, it starts to imply what we call the minor mode, where where music becomes starts sounding a little more more tragic, or in this case, you know, evocative of hatred. We hear this harmony, which kind of implies to us that it would be going here. G minor, and so we get this implication we've been in uh, major key for this entire section. And so we get the implication of minor very briefly for this, this one line, and then it immediately switches to again a very long legato expressive phrase like we heard from Tamino in the opening section when they sing, love and brotherhood would, 
would flourish. I think this legato character, that quick switch to that legato long character is actually really important to remember because Mozart is also amazing in his ability to set things like this up and then come back to them slightly later in the scene, slightly later in the opera. So in any case, we'll keep that in mind. Love and Brotherhood, this kind of expressive, legato, sentimental character. So now let's hear the next section from this scene. We go back, for those following along, we move from the key of F major, which we were just in, back to the key of B flat major of the opening. So this is a really standard form for classical music, a kind of A, B, a prime, we might call it, like a, a, another A section, but slightly varied. And so we get some new music here. And this might even be thought of as a kind of C portion of music. But in terms of the keys, we've gone A, B, A. We're back to our home base. So it's time for the princesses or these ladies to, to pass off some gifts to our other characters. And so first, they hand off a magic flute the title of this opera, to Tamino and say that this will, this will protect him and sustain you in the greatest misfortune. So let's listen to this next passage where they pass off the magic flute. So yet another incredible portion of music. So at the beginning, I want to focus in again on the end of this clip that we just listened to. At the beginning, they hand off the magic flute. Um, there are some moments where they say, actually, the text, and the character changes again to this slightly more legato character. But I want to look at the end passage, because there's two musical devices, yet another way in which Mozart is a genius is He's borrowing very standard musical devices to, to make a very important point with his music in, in these moments. So at the very end of this clip that we heard, the last portion where they all sing together, the text is, Oh, such a flute is worth more than gold and crowns, for through it human happiness and contentment will be increased. And so it's, it's some more kind of Masonic, preachy, uh, language, but but there's this moment, maybe you caught it in our first listen, where the music feels like it almost stops, it becomes suspended in time, and they're, it's almost like they're worshipping this flute that they've passed off. Often in uh, the staging of this, they all kind of hold up the flute and look at it like a, a sort of religious idol or something. And I want to play for you that, that passage, this 
that that mirrors this text that we just uh, that I just read one more time because there's a couple of musical devices that I'll show that are really important. So listen very closely to this this last paragraph when all of them sing, "Oh, such a flute is worth more than golden crowns, for through it human happiness and contentment will be increased." So here's that that ending. So a couple of musical devices that Mozart is using there that I want to show you. So they're, they're two very important musical devices that appear all over music, and I think he uses them fantastically in this passage to create this sense of, of two very different things. So first, when they hold up this flute and they're saying, oh, such a flute is worth more than golden crowns, there's this kind of, it feels like time is suspended. They're holding it up, kind of worshiping, glorifying this this flute, and they're, they're looking at it kind of, uh, wistfully or, or reverently. And so what, what Mozart does in this moment is he writes what's called a tonic pedal, which means that in the bass voices, we have one note repeated over and over while the melody is changing harmony on top. So the one passage where it, he does this, it sounds like this. he repeats over and over and over. If you go back and listen, there's this B flat, we call it in the bass, that just continues to be played over and over while the harmony is changing on top of it repeatedly. And then for, this, for the next line, for through it human happiness and contentment will be increased. A little clunkier line in, in English than in German. But for this, he relies on a very tried and true chord progression that I think, you know, it really creates happiness in, in listeners. I hope this is not a stretch for me saying it, but it's, it's really one of the most kind of fundamental, almost scientifically pleasing ways of, of writing a chord progression. So that one sounds like this. So he's just kind of moving down the harmonic series to a set of different pitches that are all a fifth below one another. Um, and it's a really, it creates this sense of tension and resolution over and over and over. A very satisfying chord progression to listen to when it actually happens in fast motion when they sing this, this, this portion. So next, let's listen to another stretch of music. Papageno here is trying to escape. He doesn't want to face Zarastro still. He's, he's kind of a coward. And let's listen uh, to this little passage. We won't mention too much about this, but again, a passage like so many in the Magic Flute that's, you might not even notice, but it's very much before it's, its time, despite
just sounding like more beautiful music. So, so here's the section, next section of music where Papageno is kind of trying to still weasel his way out of this situation. <laughs> Alright, so we, we won't remark too much on this passage, but I want to point out one thing. So this passage is, is in minor. Um, it gives it a more kind of pessimistic, pleading feel from Papageno. And one thing that Mozart does here that's, that's kind of ahead of his time is he moves to a key that isn't the most standard key we would expect him to. Normally he's in B-flat major, he would move to G minor which he touches on briefly, but actually the key that the majority of this, this music is in is D minor, and that's a little bit unexpected for us, but it's something that a composer like Schubert or, or some later romantics would have done very frequently, um, you know, people who came several years after Mozart. And this is what's called a hexatonic relation. It's a very you know, clunky music theory term, but basically what it means is you move keys just by shifting one note of one voice. So you go from B flat to D, just by moving one voice. And that's how you kind of seamlessly find new keys. And so this is a very kind of progressive harmonic scheme for Mozart. He slips back into B major at the end of this clip just by making a, a hexatonic shift, which is something that Schubert might have done, but he was, you know, cutting edge in this way. So I think it's a really interesting, would probably normally go unnoticed, little quirk of this, this scene. So now we, we, we'll go to our next part. They're going to give another you know, musical instrument to Papageno now. They've given Tamino the flute, and they're going to give Papageno this glockenspiel, magic bells. And so let's listen to this passage as well. Some great moments of, of quickly changing character and texture like we heard right at the beginning of this scene. And I think you'll be able to hear musically the presence of this glockenspiel, these magic bells. So here's the next section of, of music. Was mag da drin sein? Herren, bist du Böckchen Tönig? Wenn ich sie auch spielen könnte. Oh, ganz gewiss, ja, ja, gewiss. Sauerflöten, Sauerflöten, Sieben so wohl, so schön, so nett. Oh, 
So I just want to listen to one quick section once more of that, just where, where they introduce the glockenspiel, and you'll hear, you might have noticed it the first time, but Mozart, he creates this kind of bell-like fluttering texture just for a moment, and then immediately switches to a very lyrical character on the matter of, of seconds, another example of this amazing change of character on a second-to-second on a -second basis. Here's that, that one quick passage once again. So just one phrase, but a beautiful switch of, of texture there. Um, one other thing to mention, because now they're, they're kind of bidding farewell to the heroes, telling them to go off on their quest. And as they're saying the kind of parting words, farewell, I want to point out a harmony that, that gets used here. So when they sing this, this farewell, this is the harmony that, that we hear. Now this, this motion, this harmonic movement, for those big music theory buffs, it's a one to four movement. It's called a plagal harmony. And it's very much associated in music, this, this area of the, what's called the subdominant or the four or the plagal harmony. For our listeners, we don't need to know what that means necessarily, but this, this particular harmony of four is very associated with closing sections in, in music. It has a kind of nostalgic quality that ties a bow on you know, especially like first movements, we'll often get a coda that's very heavily influenced by this plagal harmony. And so it's an incredible musical little quirk nod here that on this word of, of farewell, Mozart is doing these little plagal inflections. It gives it this kind of, you know, goodbye, farewell quality, but also it's kind of <laughs> It's kind of an inside musical genius quirk of his that he's just choosing this moment to kind of use the harmony that we associate with the part in the form that kind of closes a piece just in this fleeting, you know, milliseconds moment to, to kind of impart this, this farewell quality on, on these words. So yet another moment in my mind of, of genius from, from Mozart. So now let's listen to the very end, um, keep all the stuff that we've talked about in mind. I think the end of this scene is, dare I say, one of the most beautiful passages in all of music and one of the greatest Mozart ever wrote. Um, I think it's my favorite kind of minute or two in opera. It, there's something about it that is just so beautiful. Um, so the, in this last section, the, these three ladies introduce three young boys who will guide these um, heroes, Tamino and Papageno, on their quest. And if you've ever seen the Magic Flute or even seen highlights, these young boys are, are a very famous portion of the plot. You know, they're usually sung by three young boys, and they're always in a trio, and it's a beautiful uh, trio of, of young boy voices. 
but here's where they get introduced by the three women, and here's that beautiful passage of music. So a few things about that, that beautiful passage. I mean, for one, it's just the most simple, beautiful music. Um, the, the text of, of what they're singing here is that three boys, young, beautiful, gracious, and wise will accompany us on our journey or accompany you on your journey. I think there's this beautiful moment when they say visa, wise, where they're singing this kind of bell-like articulate texture, and then suddenly on visa, they suddenly sing very lyrically again. It gives this one word. It's almost like the most important of these young, beautiful, gracious, and wise. You know, the the, the wiseness is, is the most important thing here. And so beautiful moment where they suddenly sing very lyrically on this on this one word in the middle of a phrase. But a couple other things to to mention. So so now Mozart has taken that uh, plagal harmony that we just talked about. And he's using it again, but he's slightly reversed the, the order in which it's presented. So now when our characters are singing farewell, before they did this, and now he's just flipped it. He's still using the exact same harmonic progression, but the plagal harmony is now on the, what we call the downbeat, the strongest beat. Um, it's taken on even greater importance. And so this is the real kind of Auf Wiedersehen end of the scene. Um, and there, just one other thing that I'll briefly point out, which is that one of the other geniuses of the, the whole magic flute is um, Mozart was obsessed with this kind of new newfound intellectual society of his, of the, the Freemasons. And he was writing a lot of music, including the magic flute that was heavily based on Masonic ideals. And if you've ever seen, you know, the pyramid on the back of a dollar bill or something, the Freemasons were obsessed with the idea of threes. This was kind of the perfect number. And so you may have noticed already, but, um, we get three women, in this scene, they're introducing three boys, 
the, the Magic Flute Overture, if you want to go listen to it, starts with three big chords. The Queen of the Night, the famous character who sings very high, um, she appears three times in the opera. The, the thing is riddled with, with threes. And I think it's an, <laughs> a genius little end to this uh, scene. If you go back and just listen, the last figure that we hear goes like this. But we hear that three times. And he didn't need to include it three times, but it's one more little just, let me make this opera all about threes, about Masonic ideals. So it's filled with, with interesting stuff like this. I, I find the Magic Flute as an opera, and certainly this scene, to be one of the greatest displays of, of mastery of composition and, and ability to write incredibly beautiful music. So I'd encourage our listeners to not only listen to this scene, but to the whole opera. The reason, as I mentioned, why we didn't do a, a full breakdown is just because I think it's more self-explanatory, easier to listen to in many ways. It's, it's not too long, but it is a great piece, and I'd encourage all of our listeners to, to check it out and to keep these things in mind whenever you're listening to Mozart. The quick changes of character, the you know, incredible use of, of harmony, but also of kind of differing articulations, instruments, things that might kind of fly under the radar sometimes, but that actually give a window into his true genius. So as always, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. We'll be back shortly with one more episode in our series on opera, so keep an eye out for that. And in the meantime, I hope everyone is having a healthy, warm winter, starting to go back to live concerts. I've certainly gotten significantly busier. That's why our podcasts are coming out at a little longer time interval. But hopefully everyone will go check out a, a live concert in their area, maybe even the Magic Flute. And we will see you back here shortly. So thanks as always for joining us and we will see you next time.